Benny, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me today. And we've been chatting about all kinds of different things. And I I just wanted to ask you if you could go back in time, because you've been out there in the field doing your thing for several years now. You've learned lots of lessons. If you could go back in time, hop into your time machine and talk to a younger version of yourself, what would you say? Mm, it's a very good question, Dr. Heather Walker. Well, the cheeky answer <laughs> or Bitcoin. would be buy Apple stock. But I guess you're looking for something. <laughs> something <laughs> a, a bit, yeah, buy lots of Bitcoin. No, something, I guess, that, that would be a lesson. Well, it, it sounds a little cliched, but it, it would be along the lines of learn how to fall in love with the process of learning. Uh, learn how to fall in love with goal-setting application, failure, reflection, repetition. Uh, and rather than setting sights on these big goals as the prize or the satisfaction, really enjoy the process of figuring things out because it's taken me damn near 40 years to get to that point and I'm the happiest I've ever been now. But I think if I knew that growing up, if I knew that, the real game, the real growth, the real edge and the real motivation was played by tapping into this inherent motivational system of learning and reward. But if I knew that was the whole prize in itself, uh, I think I could probably have uh, enjoyed the journey more. So that that would be it. Mm, I love that. And I think that's a great segue into the topic for today. We're going to be talking a little bit about how to enjoy the journey, how to enjoy the transformation Mm. and get something out of it while you're in pursuit of the big results and and big numbers, all of those wonderful goals that you've set for yourself. How do you find a way to enjoy the process? So stick around, everyone. We're going to get into the show in just a moment, okay? It's time for a sneak peek. Sneak peek, sneak peek. It's actually the process of being adaptable to change or being adaptable in learning that, that is the goal. It's about creating a culture and, and an organisation that in, is, embraces change to the point where it becomes a competitive advantage. The mighty Nicholas Nassim Taleb in his book, Anti-Fragile, he a- outlined systems that not only survived change, but benefited and thrived through VUCA or volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous conditions. Mm. They were they were built in the way that when disruptions and problems and pandemics occur, not only do they do really do they do okay and, and come out the other side, but they actually come out stronger. And I think that's a worthy ambition. I mean the speed of technology, the speed of change, it ain't slowing down. And, you know, our our competitive advantages as a species has always been our ability to change and adapt. And that happens through language and through collaboration. But so the real invitation and the promise of the book is to help these leaders transform and create a culture that is so change ready that's so agile is a bit of a cliche, but I would say flexible, open, adaptable, and efficient to be able to, to ride the waves of upcoming problems, upcoming events that, that are going to 
come our way. There's no way to stop that. I think the way we mitigate against that is we, we learn to value our ability to change and adapt and to work together through that process and to learn through that process. And we do it with a, a serious sense of humor and a determined lightness in our hearts. If we can fall in love with that, I think those companies and cultures are gonna be in a really good place. And now on with the show. When you're feeling the pressure, take a moment to step back, pick up your marbles and choose to lead with levity. Join us on the Lead with Levity podcast for fireside chats that will fill your bucket and help you get back to being the leader you were meant to be. Now here's your host, Dr. Heather Walker. All right, welcome back to the Lead with Levity podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Heather Walker, and I'm so excited to have this conversation with our guest today, Benny Osmus, out in Melbourne, uh, Australia. I almost said Melbourne, California. I don't even know if that's a location. I made that one up. (laughs) Benny is the CEO of Big Change, where they lead, they help organizations lead transformations. He's also the author of the upcoming book, Transformational Leadership Compass. Benny, I am so excited to have you here today, and I look forward to this conversation with you. How are you? I'm great, Dr. Heather Walker. I'm really thrilled to be here, and I, I just love the show. I love the lead with levity concept, and I think, gosh, we could all do with a good dose of levity right about now in the world in the current state of affairs. So yeah, I'm just thrilled to be here. That's right. That's right. I feel the same way. And I've had a a few people on the show now from Australia. And from what I gather, (laughs) Australians really know how to um, appreciate levity. And I think the rest of the world can learn a little something from all of you. So if you were to reflect on that, just, I don't know if you even have even thought about that. Like, oh, we are maybe a little bit different. Um, we, we can serve as a little bit of an example to others. What is it that is so special about Australia and Australians, Australian culture even, that maybe we can take back and use here in the States? Right. No, no pressure or responsibility loaded into no that pressure. question, Dr. Walker. Well, it's a pass. Okay. No, no, this is this is quite juicy, but let me have a go. For starters, I should state that, you know, as, as a national culture, Australia is very young. So it's a melting pot of different cultures of the world forming. I mean, we have also the oldest culture in the world. Our indigenous culture is, you right. know, goes way back. And you know, there, there is a lot of work to be done in preserving and celebrating those traditions. But if we think about business culture and the state of business culture and the state of leadership culture in Australia, I do think that there is an element of taking the work very seriously, but not taking yourself so seriously. Australians have mm-hmm. a sort of a sense of humour around being able to, to make light of serious things and that there's an interesting balance that I observe in leadership around that I think you know we have tall poppy syndrome that's a thing in Australia and that's wait, wait, what what kind of syndrome uh, have you heard of tall poppy syndrome before tall this is poppy a, yeah yeah okay so no no 
So it's, yeah, well, it's like a metaphor. So when poppies grow tall, some of them grow taller than others, right? And they block out the sunlight so the rest of the poppies can't, can't receive the sun. So what do we do? Well, we cut their heads off. And uh, <laughs> that's a cultural phenomenon in Australia where if, wow. if you stand out too much, you'll stand up too high. The, the culture is to it'll cut you down to size real quick, which wow. is, yeah, which is totally in contrast to, you know, the American self-promoting, you know, culture of be all you can be and shout as loud as you can. It's a huge contrast between it uh, and probably one of the reasons why I decided to you know, go with the, the book publicist in, in the States because I wanted people that understood self-promotion and, and weren't afraid mm -hmm. of it. But that shows up in our culture. I think it's changing over time, but I think that we're very much for people that are humble in their achievements. We're, we're very much for the underdog story, somebody that's come up and defied odds but gives the credit away. And I think our, our culture really celebrates that. Uh, the idea of the, the Aussie battler is someone that's been through enough, excuse my French, shit to be able to have mm -hmm. some, some battle scars and to be able to lead. Uh, and I think that that's prevalent in the, the narratives that form out a very young and emerging culture at the moment in Australia. So coming back to this idea of levity, I think you have to be able to take, as we say, take the piss out of yourself, but to take the work and the job and the task at hand very seriously, but have a lightness about your own importance, have a lightness about your own power. And as a coach and a facilitator, I feel I do this quite a bit. Like I'll very, very much make jokes about myself and, and sort of take the pressure off me needing to be this real serious executive coach. And that allows the group or the, the company or the leadership team to relax into the process. Me being mm. a bit light about who I am or making fun of my own many, many character flaws and foibles and pointing them out and laughing at them. I think that that teaches the, the leaders I work with and the companies I work with that it's okay to be open and real and even to risk looking a bit foolish. If I can do that as a facilitator and as a leader, it, it opens the, the mini culture of the room up to being willing to experiment with ideas, being more open, being willing to be open to try things on, to put things out there, to take the risks required for any sort of learning or progress. And in doing that, we create this beautiful learning environment where people can can play and test and develop and fall and get hurt and figure out why and ultimately emerge with something better and more valuable for all. So I, I really do think levity oh, is at so the heart of Yeah, yeah. It's a, it, it's a really great thing yeah. for this show. I, I really like this. Thank you. Thank you. I've, and I've heard that several times from others that levity is something that helps break down walls and barriers in communication, helps people to understand that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay mm. to be human in yeah. the workplace. And so it's good to hear. I keep, I keep hearing it over and over, and I know that it's true. So when you are working on a book right now, is it coming out very soon or in a few months? Oh, it's out. Yeah, yeah, it's out and it's available. Oh, it's already um, out. Yeah, you can, you, I should do the, it's very un-Australian of me, but I'll do the book plug. 
You can pick it up on Amazon. Gotta, what yeah. is, okay, so Transformational Leadership Compass. The Transformational Leadership Compass. Yeah. Yes, if I'm if I'm a leader and I'm going over to Amazon and I'm thinking, okay, I I need something to help my organization. What mm-hmm. is it about your book that is just going to leap out of just make them go, wow, this is something I really need to read. I need this in my life. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can say this much. It's a complete system of transformation. It's essentially an operating system for the mind of the leader. So it's written in a very deliberate way to be able to help a leader install this model of thinking into their own brain so they can make better decisions, they can understand and work with more complexity, and ultimately they can make change happen. Now, this isn't a simple process. It's not a book full of feel-good quotes and sound bites. But what it, what we have achieved is we've taken very complex ideas and a lot of complex ideas and distilled them into something that's very memorable, very accessible, and very usable for the leaders. So. The promise that, that that I can make for this book is leaders that pick this up are going to find a, a very effective way of upgrading their thinking to be able to deal with complexity and change and transformation in their day-to-day decision-making uh, without having to read the 100 books that it references and digest all of that because mm. who's got time for that? What are some of the problematic ways of thinking that leaders have the leaders that you come across? Yeah, well, I think a problematic way of thinking that I, I come across a lot is the idea that, that there's a narrative running through the culture at the moment that, that simple is better. We should just find the simplest approach. And I think it's problematic in the sense that to achieve simplicity in thinking actually requires a ton of work. And whenever we find an elegantly simple solution to a complex problem, behind that is, is there's been a lot of thinking and a lot of careful consideration to make that work. So I think one of the biggest traps we see at the moment is miss or, or underestimating the complexity of a problem or not considering right, right. So yeah, or, or not considering all of the perspectives or many of the perspectives in order to make a better decision. So to me, leadership and effective leadership boils down to effective decision-making. And that includes collaboration and bringing people along with the journey. It includes seeking and bringing together perspectives. It includes thinking in context and, and mapping processes. But at the end of the day, the behavior we're looking for is leaders to make powerful, effective, well thought through decisions. And that's why they have power so mm-hmm. the the gaps I, I see in thinking and, and I assess when working with leaders is gaps in decision making skills and ability and as leaders take on more and more responsibility those challenges become uh, more and more difficult and they require higher and higher levels of complexity and thinking so that that's sort of the developmental journey at the same time and this is a double-edged sword to be able to do this with the people around you, you need to approach it with um, a degree of grace and levity 
and inclusiveness and collaboration. So to say that you want to make a better decision, if you want to make a better decision, you, you better consider the perspectives and the expertise and the abilities to, to think and feel and sense of the people around you. And in order to do that, you have to be inclusive, open, and have enough playfulness to draw that out of people without scaring the heck out of them. So that there is quite a bit going on there. And I know that's a very long-winded answer, Dr. Walker, but yeah, it's a, it's a big thing. So I have to ask you this because, because you know, we're in 2021. We're all sitting in our, our homes, at least here in the U.S., because as you know, we're, we're, COVID is like, whew, it's coming down. It, it definitely mm. is, but... We're not in the kind of situation that, that you're in over there. I, I hear things are probably a little bit better in Australia. But there, there are sort of, there's sort of these historical events that happen and, and situations and like minor crises that happen that sort of uh, give leaders an opportunity to maybe potentially prepare for larger crises. That could happen later on. So, you know, like COVID, for example, we had issues, sort of markers and and warning signs with prior mini health concerns and outbreaks. And, oh, if it could happen like that, well, what if this were to happen across the globe? Or, hey, we know that we shouldn't have our market set up like this. And there are lots of things that large events. So I live in Texas. And in Texas, we had this whole electric grid meltdown issue where and they knew they knew that this is something that could have been a possibility. Yeah. So I, I just want to ask you, this is a very serious question. I have no idea if this is even going to make it into that, <laughs> the final cut or not. But does your book does it include guidance and and the kind of guidance that leaders need to be able to think radically different about what they're doing and to be able to notice those warning signs, to be able to walk people through very, very dramatic changes within their organization? Does it prepare us for the future? Wow, that's a... Uh, that's a- Big question. So the, the shortest possible. I know. That's why I said it might not even make the final cut. I just have to no, ask because really there's so many leadership books out there. <laughs> mm. Yeah. No, okay. So the, the shortest possible answer to that is yes, it does. And I'll explain why. So look, the transformational leadership compass is a system to build an organization or to shape an organization to be as change ready as possible. So things we've learned from COVID, I mean, it's, I know it's rough over there, but it's been no picnic here in Melbourne. We, we went through a, a prolonged lockdown. I think the longest lockdown in the world. And we have virtually no cases now, but our whole city stopped. Our borders are still mm. opening and shut. So we had you know, we've been through a bit of shit there. But what it's taught us is quite interesting. You know, we everyone's been banging on about digital transformation for a long time. However, COVID has, has accelerated it forced that. It. So, 
Oh, it's amazing mm -hmm. how many meetings could have been done on Zoom, really. I mean, think of all of the, the miles travelled and the traffic that I've sat in and the, the conferences that could have been logistically arranged there. So it's it's taught the culture as well that, that we can communicate across geographies using technology and it's actually forced that transformation, which I think is very interesting. Our business is now 90% online and I think that, that through necessity, it's it's educated the culture and the market that we can do that, which is which is kind of interesting. So there's silver linings, but the answer is this: it's about changing before you have to, and it, it almost comes back to that first question you asked me, Dr. Walker, about what I would tell my my younger self. It's actually the process of being adaptable to change or being adaptable in learning that that is the goal. It's about creating a culture and and an organization that in it embraces change to the point where it becomes a competitive advantage. The mighty Nicholas Nassim Taleb in his book, Anti-Fragile, he outlined systems that not only survived change, but benefited and thrived through VUCA or volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous conditions. Mm. They, were, they were built in the way that when disruptions and problems and pandemics occur, not only do they do really, do they do okay and, and come out the other side, that they actually come out stronger. And I think that's a worthy ambition. I mean, the speed of technology, the speed of change, it ain't slowing down. And our, our competitive advantages as a species has always been our ability to change and adapt. And that happens through language and through collaboration. But so the real invitation and the promise of the book is to help these leaders transform and create a culture that is so change ready, that's so agile is a bit of a cliche, but I would say flexible, open, adaptable, and efficient to be able to, to ride the waves of upcoming problems, upcoming events that, that are going to come our way. There's no way to stop that. I think the way we mitigate against that is we, we learn to value our ability to change and adapt and to work together through that process and to learn through that process. And we do it with a, a serious sense of humor and a determined lightness in our hearts. If we can fall in love with that, I think those companies and cultures are going to be in a really good place. So Benny, I love that. And I really, we're all about providing some practical guidance and advice and tips, something that the listeners can try. So I wonder if you're able, if, if you're willing, do you have any practical advice for someone who is in the trenches and they just, they're like, they're having trouble seeing what they need to do to be a little bit more flexible. And I know the obvious answer is go go read the book, <laughs> and of course we'll get we'll get there. But is there anything that they could do today, tomorrow, this week to become to take that next step to be a, just a little bit more flexible to help their teams be a little bit more flexible? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the cheeky answer would be to read my book, of course. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I. I have an enormous about amount of respect and care for those that are dedicated to ongoing real world lifelong learning and it's it's no small mission to commit to going on an ongoing development path 
and it's kind of a bigger picture suggestion. But anybody mm -hmm. that's looking for a, a tip or a, a, an answer or something that, that they can, or a nugget of information, it, it's this. Figure out your an effective learning plan for yourself, even if it's for the next quarter or, or month or week, and figure out that the best way that, that your brain brings learning into experience. Figure out how you're going to do that. Figure out how you're going to, you know, take the information that you you hear on this show and, and the brilliant guests on, on Dr. Walker's show. Take the information from my book and apply it to your day-to-day -day practices and consciously reflect on its application. Because we know in my uh, amazing developmental colleagues will show you with the utmost clarity that when we can get into this state of applied learning and reflection, that's what creates robust learning and knowledge in the brain. And that's what creates better decisions, better outcomes for all. So the, your gold takeaway nugget is to learn how to learn and, and to do that through a daily practice of reflection and application of small pieces of knowledge, many of which you can find in my book. I love it. And I have to ask you, because you value lifelong learning, what are you learning about this week? That's a great question. Well, look, at the moment, I'm diving deep into the Jean Piaget lineage of developmental psychology. Oh, wow. And I have been doing for quite some time with some of the leaders in that lineage and tradition. So this week, I'm really diving deep into the dopamine opioid cycle of reward and motivation in learning in the brain. And I'm applying that to my coaching engagements. And I'm using that to help leadership and executive teams optimize their own development. So for me, it's a, a process of reading this stuff, understanding it, working with my own mentors and uh, amazing thinkers in this space, but then applying it to my own world and my clients' world to see the results, to see those you know moments of where the penny drops and, and the knowledge becomes integrated into everything else they know, and then real change happens at that edge. So I'm all about the Piagetian lineage at the moment. And I've got to tell you, I'm having a lot of fun linking, linking all this together in, in my mind. It's, it's not only fun for the sake of learning and fun, it's commercially mm -hmm. applicable and it's really helping our clients uh, achieve massive change and results. And that, that's my favorite thing in the world. Well, it was either that or you were expecting a baby. I didn't know where you were going with that, but <laughs> it's good to know that you're able to apply it to the work that you do. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I really do appreciate your time today. If our listeners are interested in learning more about Big Change or picking up a copy of your book, where should they go? You can head on over to our website. It's bigchange.group. You can have a look around. There's quite a bit on that website. If you like, you can purchase the book from Amazon. It's the Transformational Leadership Compass. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn if that's your thing. And you can just find me at Benny Osmus. And I'm sure we can put a link in the show notes if, if that's helpful. Oh, yes. Yes, there will definitely be a link in the show notes. Benny, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks for tuning in to the Lead with Levity podcast. To get resources mentioned in this episode and find out what we're all about, check us out at leadwithlevity.com.